lived experience of other fundraisers can be instructive, but there's a special added strength to evidence-based fundraising. Hi, I'm Bill Stanjakevich. This is the first day from the fundraising school, and I'm joined today by Dr. Sarah Conrath, who's a, a scientist in the art of fundraising, a researcher in the area of philanthropy, and we're so fortunate as Sarah discovers new knowledge, we're able to translate those findings into practical application in our courses in the fundraising school. And Sarah, thanks again for being back with us on this podcast. You're welcome. You have this passion, this interest, this gift, this skill of discovering new knowledge related to philanthropy and fundraising, and you have a similar passion to see it being used by fundraisers. Help us understand what motivates your work in that regard. I think that if we're going to create new knowledge, even if we're doing it just out of curiosity, that we have a responsibility to share it. And there are people who could use it and actually do their jobs even better if they had some guidance from the research world. And so in the research world, you co-direct our doctoral program where right. students are coming from around the world to earn a PhD in philanthropic studies. Not all, but many of them then stay in the academy and do continued research, do continued teaching to advance knowledge. Uh, you're also with the uh, NVSQ journal, which stands for? Nonprofit and voluntary sector, volunteer sector quarterly. quarterly. Why can't I say it? Yeah, <laughs> one of funny. the leading academic journals related to the nonprofit and voluntary sector. Comes out quarterly, by the way. <laughs> and then also, uh, Sarah uh, co-directs the SPY conference, the Science Philanthropy Initiative. The science, right? yeah, the Science of Philanthropy Initiative. In partnership with the University of Chicago with a wonderful, talented colleague, Dr. John List. So this area of data and discovering knowledge is important to you. Very much. Yeah. But just as important is getting it out there to people who can use it. And that, I see that in all three different roles. When, we're, when I'm teaching doctoral students and in our program, we try very hard and strongly encourage our students to not only pick questions that are going to be of relevance to the field, the, the real world in some way, but to then have s translational pieces within their writing. For example, creating a guide for fundraisers mm -hmm, based mm -hmm. on, their, on their research, on their dissertation work. So then it doesn't just sit in the piles increasing piles of dissertations, but it actually then can be put to good use by the people who need it. So the journals are important in their own right. We need to discover new knowledge, including in uh, the social sciences. It's something that's happening all the time. Uh, we need to have those seminars where folks gather together and share their learnings, constructively challenge one another to continue to advance the knowledge, have conferences. All of these things are very important to, to make sure that we're evidence-based. How do you start this process? When you talk about a research question that's relevant, how, how do you get to that point where you think, hey, I'm interested in this, this is kind of fascinating to me, but that this also could advance the field? How do you come up with those research questions? How do your, your colleagues approach that? People are pitching you ideas to the, to the academic journal or they want to speak at the SPY conference. How do those ideas come to fruition? A lot of the ideas just come from sheer passion and curiosity. Maybe some, Actually, the best ideas, I'll just say, I think, come from the people who were, used to be fundraisers and are now getting their PhD. Yeah. Because they've, they're not just coming from like idle curiosity, mm -hmm. like I do, <laughs> but they're actually coming from, they have been working in the field and they have wicked problems that they're trying to figure out and they can creatively think about solutions while also building the scholarly field. So those people are really fun to work with because they're used to handling difficult challenges and doing it on a shoestring. And that's actually the recipe for a good researcher. 
And in addition to being a nationally and internationally regarded scientist, you are one of our very best translators. You speak for the fundraising school often. You've been on this podcast uh, before. Uh, you're designing a course for us on the art of fundraising, emotional intelligence, empathy, how we discern donor motivations. Um, what does that look like for you? It, what, what does that process of translation look like? Because a, a fundraiser who's not academically trained might open up that journal article and, and see the science and see the data tables, and yet you have a gift to make the data sing in a way that's practical. How does that process work? How it works for me is I actually have friendships and students who are fundraisers or former fundraisers, and I listen mm -hmm. <laughs> to them. We have conversations. and. Sometimes I kind of do gentle pitches where I say, hey, I found this, this thing in my research, you know, what do you think? And I'm honestly not the one who knows what the implication is. It's fundraisers who know. So working with somebody who, and talking to people who know, the, who know what the job involves. I've never been a full-time fundraiser. All I do is write grants, that's a type, but it's the behind the scenes type. But the people who are involved in relational fundraising are dealing with all kinds of problems. And when they see my research, I see, sometimes I see this happen where they light up. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, that's, I've had, I've had a narcissistic donor, they'll say. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and they'll talk about you know, a case study of what they experienced and kind of will compare notes, what I find in the research, what, what's missing, what did I not study yet that they would like to know. So it's actually a really nice back and forth process where I grow as a researcher and then they grow in their practice. This might seem very obvious to you. It might not though for fundraisers, especially earlier in their career. Why is evidence-based fundraising so important? What, what are maybe some of the qualitative strengths in taking that approach as opposed to hearsay or learning from somebody else's example, which are valuable and helpful, and there are trainers out there who teach that way. She's a successful fundraiser, she writes a book, she becomes a trainer. We certainly can learn from her. But when you see the depth of knowledge and understanding that advances through your research and that of your colleagues, how does that strengthen fundraising? It strengthens fundraising the way that it strengthens medicine to know that a pill we're taking mm -hmm. works in a certain way and to know the side effects of those pills. So we want to use the same level of evidence and the same quality to understand how fundraising works, how do donors work, how do interactions between fundraisers and donors work, how do donors respond to messages, does it depend on which kind of donor. It might have worked in one situation, but that doesn't mean it's going to work in a different situation. So it's, it's really, I, I take kind of the medicine approach and the same types of tools that we use to figure out what makes us feel better when we're sick are the tools we can use to know how we can raise money for our nonprofits. And Sarah, I'd like to ask you to expand on that last point a little bit. Our colleagues in the hard sciences, I think of people who want to take humankind to Mars, for example. Either the rocket is going to make it all the way or it's not. There's just kind of no in between, right? We need to make sure that rocket reaches the entire way. With social science research, including the study of philanthropy, somebody might hear, oh, women give a certain way, or people of a certain generation give a certain way, just like the rocket makes it all the way to Mars. No, it's different, right? We have to say we know there are donors who don't fit that right. research type. Can you help fundraisers understand that? Yeah, social science can be a little fuzzier, mm -hmm. um, which, which I think makes it a perfect tool for fundraisers to use, because then they can combine the scientific literature, the research that they know about and hear about through the school, mm -hmm. um, but also their own practical wisdom and intuition. It's a very good fit, I think, to use both together. Um, and even, you know, the social science, what I mean by saying it's fuzzy is like, we can find out one thing today 
and then run a different study a year from now and find something different. For us, that's okay because then we're like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder why. And we can spend our lives in the ivory tower forever mm -hmm. trying to understand why. For fundraisers, they can see what we've done in the research, see if it's useful, compare it with, with their own knowledge and experience. Maybe it opens up a perspective that they hadn't thought about before and then they can try it out in the field and see if it works for them. So they can be sort of responsive to the research, but it can also kind of use it in a way that works for them. At the fundraising school, our alumni meet or exceed their fundraising goals at rates higher than national averages. And I believe strongly the key reason is, is our teaching is evidence-based. We have colleagues like Dr. Sarah Conrath, who co-leads our doctoral program, leads an academic journal, co-leads a national academic conference, and yet translates that information for us into practical application. Uh, we have this in 20 different courses that we offer, leading to three certificates. One of the new certificates is the Certificate in Fundraising Leadership. If you've been with us for a while, you know that we've had the Certificate in Fundraising Management. Well, now there's a Certificate in Leadership that includes Dr. Conrad's course on the art of fundraising. Remember, fundraising is the gentle art of teaching the joy of giving. And Sarah's social psychology approach to the motivations of why people give is now going to be in a two-day course that leads to that certificate. We also have our quarterly webinars that are available, these free weekly podcasts. And very importantly to remember is we have custom training that goes all over the world and we contextualize that training, especially for your organization, your association, your region, whatever the case might be, we can tailor that content especially for you. Now, the fundraising school resides within the Lilly Family School of Philanthropy, and you've heard me mention Sarah's leadership in our academic programs. If you're ready for that doctoral program, we uh, are ready for your application uh, to have that review. If you want to be that person who is curious and discovers knowledge, has that, has that wonder, and you might find yourself in the academy, or you might go back out into the nonprofit sector uh, with uh, that added knowledge and credential. We have our master's degree. It's offered in a couple of different ways, in person or online, meaning those people who go to Mars could be working on our master's degree online as they head out that way. And of course, we have our bachelor's degree as well. All of this information is available on our website at philanthropy.iupui.edu. You'll see a tab for research. A lot of Sarah's research is there. We have a couple of dozen academic faculty with research requirements and a separate research team on top of that. If you add the forward slash the fundraising school, you'll find out all the information about our courses, our custom training, our webinars, and all of these podcasts. With Dr. Sarah Conrath, I'm Bill Stanjakovich, and now you are now more up to date on this first day from the fundraising school. Thank you.